Okay, so there's no politics in here, although I might mention politics. And this is not a hobby horse. Okay, I do want to say it's not a hobby horse. Everything we say, uh, there'll be biblical uh, drive behind it. And there'll still be teaching from the Word of God, okay, with this. Um, last night, as we mentioned, we were evangelizing, right? Some of you guys have been there. We've been evangelizing from 9 a.m. to really 8.30. Uh, and last night, you guys probably hear me uh, mention, if you guys were there for the outreach, I was saying, oh, I can't wait for dinner. I'm going to eat what? Guiling Mifun, right? Uh, when I mentioned the place that I really like Guiling Mifun is at 122 West uh, Gar- Garvey Avenue, okay? And, you know, last night when my family came, my kids came, we were doing the outreach, and I was okay, my kids are here, my wife is here, and uh, I'm going to get food for Eric also as well, and I'm going to go to 122, where? West Garfield, West Garvey Avenue, with my favorite Guilin noodle place, right? And by the way, some of you guys that live in Monterey Park, you guys know if I'm meeting with you, if there's a chance for me to go there, guess where I'm going to be going? Daniel, Jonathan's family and stuff, we're going to go to that Guilin Mifun noodle place. Then we came back home. At, at around 10-something, right, my app from Citizen App notified there was a shooting. Where? On 122 West Garvey Avenue, right? The same place where the shooting has happened. Now, if you know that location, you know that there's a ballroom that's right next to it, right? And connected to that is the noodle shop. They share the same restroom, same door. You could go in and out, right? I'm I'm praying that lady will be okay. That lady is someone that, she's not a believer. I'll always go there, and she always know. like even yesterday when I order, she always know I can't speak enough Chinese. So when I say, hey, 我要三个菜, like, you know, those three delicacy. And then I always say true ortho. I could say pig ear. But the other one, she always laughs like, okay. And then she says in Chinese, cucumber and and pig intestines, right? Because I can't say it in Chinese. And she always know, oh, 我知道你的太太喜欢... Uh, Malada, she will always give that extra. And last night she gave the same thing also as well. Just one extra to pour extra sauce. And we like to save it, right? I hope she'll be okay. And let us pray. I hope the, clo- uh, the shop she closed early enough uh, that, you know, she was not there when the mass shooting happened. And bringing this up, and now let me say this. There was no danger when I was there because this is an hour and a half before the shooting happened, right? I'm bringing this up as a say to bring this close to home that where we're at in this world you never know in this crazy world today that could be active shooters anywhere. Now, one response with this is to say, okay, Jimmy is just riding his hobby horse. He's just paranoid. He's just crazy. Uh, I hope in the end of your, your life, this whole message is just Jimmy Lee being crazy. And hope there's never, ever a need for the application of things that I'm going to be talking about today. But I actually think when dangers happen, it's better to think about it before ahead of time. Let me say this real quick with this message. I won't be covering everything. There's not everything, okay? And there's no phony tough. I'm not teaching you to go over there and just boom, boom with the bad guys, okay? But I'm just teaching with all of this is also just what do we do if we're everyday Christians, okay? Whether at work or at church and everything, we need to think about this area of just how is it or in public place. Biblically, how do we live as Christians in a day of active shooters? And by the way, like I said, there's not everything I'm teaching. There's not... Weapons training, none of this, okay? But we want to teach just as everyday Christian with nothing else that you have. With only your mind as a weapon, what do we do in a day of active shooters? There are going to be three points for today. How many points? Three. Three points. If you're taking notes, this is the following three points, okay? Point number one, and by the way, we, I've taught this also on, before previously in other parts of our church, not on Sunday morning. And it's been last year, the top listened thing on Sermon Audio was actually this message, okay? Was actually this topic, 
So I think there's a relevance with this, okay? So these are three points. I want to talk about number one. The Bible talks about the importance of vigilance. The Bible talks about the importance of vigilance. That is, we're going to look at the Bible. The Bible actually says there's a place to be discerning and to be careful and to be on guard. So point number one, the Bible talks about the importance of vigilance. Point number two, I want to show the Bible condones self-defense. The Bible condones self-defense. That's point number two. And then point number three, I want to talk about practical pointers. Practical pointers. That is, what do we do when there's... What do we do when there is a situation with this? And let me say this real quick. These things, are, I think, are things we need to think about ahead of time. Um, it's my opinion, at least in the Marine Corps, there used to be a saying that whenever there's a real-life active shooting situation, whatever your intelligence is, divide it by half. In real dangerous situations, whatever it is, divide it by half. You're not thinking clear. And that's not even talking about the volition to be able to do what is the right thing. Does that make sense? That's talking about just intellectually thinking about situation divided by half. I don't know if there is. I googled. No one's ever said it. At least with our unit. That's what our Marine Corps unit, infantry battalion, will always say. Whatever your intelligence is, divide it by half. You're going to be much, you're not as cool as you think. It's going to be at the moment, you're going to be chaotic and everything else, okay? So in light of this, we talk, want to talk about these practical pointers too. So point number one, I want to talk about, the Bible talks about the importance of vigilance. The importance of vigilance. If you guys can, we're going to be a topical. We're looking at different Bible verses. Turn with me real quick to Acts 20, verse 28. Acts 20, verses 28. Acts 20, 28. Um, we're going to look at different verses. Just about, just the, the Bible teaches that there's a biblical virtue of discernment. There's a biblical virtue of vigilance. What I mean by that is being proactive and just being on the alert. Acts 20, 28. Let me read this and then we'll... Put it in its contextual context. Even though the message is uh, topical, we should always still be expositional in a sense that we always look at its context and draw its rightful implication. Acts 20, verse 28 says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers for shepherds to shepherd the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. In the context, this is a historical narrative Paul is addressing the leaders of the church in Ephesus. We've covered a lot of Ephesus the last three years, have we not? We've gone over Ephesians. We've gone over what? Uh, even last week, we've gone over uh, Jesus addressing the church in Ephesus in Revelation. And today we see another reference to this, where Paul addresses this church. And he tells the leaders of the church, called the elders, and he says, you know what? You need to be careful and watch over the sheep. Now, spiritually, in the context, it's talking about spiritual discernment. What, making sure there's no false teachers. Does that make sense? That's the original context, what's going on here. But then you might say, Jimmy, you're abusing the verse. You're pulling out a verse that's talking about spiritual discernment, watching out for false teaching. But I'll also say a precondition for us to watch away from false teaching with the churches. You have to first be a what? Alive. Does that make sense? There, you need to be an assumption that you need to be alive. And therefore, I think from that, we draw the implication... There's also a place to be vigilant with physical life and how much more so even with what? Spiritual life. True or not? Okay? So I'm making an argument from the greater to the lesser. Okay? With that. That you can't be spiritually discerning with false doctrines that damn if you are not also as well vigilant with people's physical life. That is the precondition for us to be able to share the gospel. You need to be alive for us to share the gospel. True or not? So there's a place for physical Vigilance also as well. Okay, let's look at another one in Ezekiel 33, verse 6 to 7. So Old and New Testament, okay? 
Ezekiel 33, verse 6 to 7. I really think this one is relevant. Ezekiel 33, verse 6 to 7. Uh, I know it's Old Testament. If you need your table of contents, feel free to look it up and look at that. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 6 to 7. This is what the Word of God teaches. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel, and you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. Here is actually what God is speaking is with a prophetic message is saying, really saying to the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel, they need to be spiritually discerning. That's the context is spiritual discernment. But one of the things that I want to draw an observation with that's a further details than the one we saw in the passage in Acts is notice God using a prophet. What imagery, what symbolism is used to talk about spiritual discernment as a leader of, the, of, of Israel? Notice it's actually drawing the analogy and the symbolism of physical watchmen. Now back then, if you guys remember Israel, if you guys remember, if you guys were here when we went over the book of Ruth, I mentioned about how people often back then live in the city. They often live in the city with city walls. They might be farmers, but they live in the city walls where it's safer from enemies. And then in the morning comes, the city gate will open, and then they'll go to their respective farm area. Does that make sense? Because people always invaded back then. So people that were guarding the gates would watch at night to make sure there's no enemy sneaking in. And notice here, yes, in the context it's talking about spiritual discernment, but what God does through Ezekiel is Ezekiel uses a physical analogy of being vigilant, right? Of thinking about a soldier watching. So I bring that up to say there's a place, you can't say being physically alert for danger is wrong because God is using an analogy of something that's not a sin to say we're using this for the spiritual realm, but from a physical realm. And thus, in my view, there's a place for physical vigilance of watching for physical danger to life. Does that make sense, my argument? Hopefully it's not too much theological with it. There will be a lot of practical, but I want to make this point clear because sometimes when we talk about this subject, people could feel super holy and spiritual say, no, I just trust in God. Let go and let God. We need to trust in God. We need not be so afraid that then we become uh, not able to do our responsibility. But nevertheless, there's a place of dimension of being spiritually vigilant for danger of both spiritual false teaching and physical threat. Okay? So this is where we see with this. And I know also uh, with this, I want to even, in point number one, when we look at the Bible, talks about the importance of vigilance. I want to deal with this objection that says, hey, you know what? This can never happen to me and in my life and in my circle. Sometimes we feel that can never be the case. Okay? Uh, but I want to deal with this objection with even uh, with this part of like saying, okay, um, I would ask you guys this question. How, even when it comes to statistics, because you know, like people could have anecdotal story, but statistics, how often is there serious crimes within the church? Okay? And what I mean by serious crimes is um, the category, there's studies done. What I'm talking about serious crime is murder, attempted murder, suicide, arson with people in the building, kidnapping and abduction and robberies. Within, let's just say within this last, if we ask this question, 
You know, uh, between uh, how often do you think things like this have happened? Let's just say between the year 1999 to 2017. And you guys could talk to me. How, how often does it happen in America? Serious crimes, right? And they're not counting people trying to burn the church where there's nobody in there. But when there is there, how much violent crimes that takes place in religious worship areas? Between 1999 and 2017. Any numbers? Anyone want to take a Stab in the dark or anything? Yeah, who here thinks there's less than a thousand between 1999 and 2017? Who here thinks it's more than a thousand? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, it seems reasonable. Okay, the number of that is 1705. Okay, to put that in perspective, between that time period, there's 999 weeks. Okay, that's more than one per week. Okay, and by the way, 49 of those percentage. Of those events did involve deaths, okay? And there was 811 deaths related to that, okay? I'm bringing this up to say that it's actually, before we think it's, it's all okay, church and definitely no one will do, statistically, we see that if the one happened per week, that's pretty higher, probably a lot higher than all we think, okay, uh, with that. And also even with our church, right? There's been times where because of ministry, some of you guys perhaps known that because of ministry, sometimes people are jaded and uh, disgruntled, right? That they wouldn't even come and even attack the church physically, right? I mean, we live in Omani. Even when, in 2020, there was a church that spoke out against LGBT, and someone blew up their church with pipe bomb. You guys could Google that, right? Bringing that up to say it's not far impossible. We could go on to stories and stories. Uh, quite frankly, I think also you, people with mental health and other sins sometimes could be very crazy and respond in ways that... Um, you know, even since 2020, how many times I've drawn a gun is probably, you know, not something I would like to talk about. But just the reality is, this is a world that's crazy, and we need to be vigilant. So as application, discernment upon, you know, you want to watch out for people's dangerous behavior, right? You know, I know that cheesy saying, see something, say something, right? But it's true. Uh, by the way, you're not looking at their ethnicity or anything, you're looking at their behavior, okay? Their discernment, okay? If you see something, say, say something, Okay? I also want to say for those who are church leaders, right, those of you guys that are deacons, those of you guys that are teaching Bible study, those of you guys that might be future leaders, those of you guys that are leaders, even if we don't give official name, but somehow people look up to you to get things done, you want to be watch out for people that are hurt. Okay? Uh, not that you want to be hurt, but also watch out for those that actually talk about that they are tempted to actually physically hurt people. Okay? Uh, in the past, people have told me things, oh man, I want to hurt this or that. Sometimes they're exaggerating and it says, oh man, I'm so upset, I want to hurt my m- mom and dad. I was like, oh, that's wrong to say. That's all wicked. But sometimes they're, oh no, no, I just mean. So the, usually the diagnostic question I often ask is, hey, have you physically hurted people? Right? And to me, that's the biggest red flag. Have you actually slapped your mom and dad? And sadly, there's been times where people said things, they, hey, they're so upset they wanted to shoot up the church, our church even. And I've asked the next question and say, hey, have you hurted anyone physically? And they say yes. And then the next question, have you hurt your mom and dad? By the way, if someone's able to hurt animals and their mom and dad, that's really crazy. That's often mass shooters. There's psyche you often see is there's a correlation with hurting animals. And also, I feel if they're able to physically attack their mom and dad, who are you? You're nobody. You're the church then, right? You're nobody. And we've also taken measures in our church to say at certain times in the past, we did not share everything and say, hey, this is a person that we are now or going under this where they are not allowed to go there. And sometimes people ask the question, hey, is it church discipline? No, this is a safety issue. There's an expedited uh, pattern with that. So we need to be one that's vigilant, okay? And think about also as well, talking about even this threat that we were talking about, 
Um, people typically think of violent incidents happening during scheduled events, you know, church on Sundays and all that stuff. But statistically, what we see from the data, 61% of those incidents, that's 1,011 of those incidents with those years, actually happen off hours, not when there's public gathering. Most of these events are actually when pastors are counseling somebody, right? Marriage counseling, going bad, adultery, that's usually where it is. So the most dangerous time, actually, sometimes is not actually not even the rest of the church. It's actually the pastor or a biblical counselor taking on someone off hours talking. That's sometimes some of the most dangerous times with ministry also as well uh, with that, okay? So uh, we want to just say this. We need to be vigilant, not just only with that. And sometimes we think it's only, oh, the dangers is only inside the church. But as I go over later on, sometimes the danger is also even in church property still, but within the parking lot also as well. We'll talk more about that when we get there in terms of the application part, um, the practical pointers. Let's go to point number two. Want to look at point number two? The Bible condones self-defense. It's not enough just to be uh, being aware of that. I also think the Bible teaches there's a place for self-defense. Now, we do live in the state of California. The rules of engagement is extremely, extremely difficult for application, rightful application of violence. Um, this won't be enough time to talk about this, but I also want to show at least the biblical foundation is the Bible actually teaches a place for self-defense. Turn with me real quick to Exodus 22, verse 2. Exodus 22, verse 2. Not all cases of self-defense, that is when you take a life, is immoral according to the Bible. Let me say this again real quick. Not every instance where someone intentionally takes someone's life does it, the Bible says it's always immoral, okay? Yes, there's times that it is immoral, but you can't say every instance of taking of human life is ungodly or wicked. And my proof of this is from Exodus 22, verse 2. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no guilt of bloodshed on his account. Notice the Bible says that if someone were to break in, listen, if someone were to break into someone's house at night, and that person breaking in at night is going over there. The Bible says the person that owns a property, if he takes that person's life, he's not necessarily guilty. He's doing it in self-defense. Now, California would add all these kinds of rules with that, right? And you need to be aware, wherever you're living at, what are those rules and those parameters? By the way, California is so crazy. If you shoot someone in your garage, you are not defending your home. It's not considered part of your home. So you need to know that. That's not in every state. So you need to realize, know all these things. And this is just only the foundation. But biblically speaking, I'm talking about not legally, but morally. There's a biblical place of self-defense of your place. You see in this instance, from this verse I'm trying to establish, that when there's a taking of life in very specific contexts, because the next verse also says, if you take a life during the daytime, hey, you're guilty. Because that's when, especially when people back then live in the city wall, they're all close to one another. You're not calling for help. You're not trying to avail all possibilities for help before you take the person's life. And for me as a Christian, I do believe we need to set a high standard of rules of engagement, right? Uh, we'll talk more about that later. But here we want to see that the Bible has a place for self-defense. Let's also turn with me real quick to Exodus 20, verse 13. People will often bring this as objection. But Jimmy, the Bible says you should not kill. Exodus 20, verse 13 says you shall not murder. The Hebrew word for murder here is actually always used in the context of killing that's unjustified. By the way, the rest of the Bible, whenever it talks about legal killing and also military killing, they never use that same word that's in Exodus 20 verse 13. Okay? They never use this word to describe military killing 
or legal self-defense killing, like what is used in Exodus 22 verse 2. So that needs to be clarified with that. This is talking about an unjustified taking of life in Exodus uh, 20 verse 13 in the Ten Commandments. Does that make sense? Again, let me say this. That word for murder here, of taking of life, is never used in the military context and is never used in legal justified killing that is such as in instance in Exodus 22 verse 13. But I also think let's go further. I actually think the Bible gives us an example where there's times where people are doing the main thing, but they might also be armed also as well. Turn for me real quick to Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 13. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 13. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 13 it says, Then I stationed men in the lowest part of the space between the walls, the exposed places, and I stationed people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. You guys know what's going on here? Nehemiah is describing this instance where people are building the walls of Jerusalem. And they heard intel that people want to hurt them. That enemy people want to hurt them and stop them from building the walls. And notice he's telling them, hey, you got to still focus on building the wall. But nevertheless, he also had what? That in their families, the guys were also what? Armed with what? Weapons and tools that amplify what? Violence, right? Swords, spears, and bows. Okay? But that didn't stop people from serving God. That didn't stop people from not doing things, right? That means what? They were building things with one hand, and the other hand they were having what? Or on their side they have what? Weapons, right? So even places with church, we don't get scared. We still do church. But there's places for that. Uh, with, with some people, okay, um, uh, with that, okay? So you see this threat doesn't stop people from serving God, but you don't see them say, oh, well, trust in God and that's it, and not be armed. You guys see that? Trusting God and responsibility are not mutually exclusive. Trusting God and a responsibility for defense for your family and loved ones and others are not mutually exclusive. By the way, we don't do this in other sphere where we say we trust in God and we don't think about those areas at all. Right? You can over-worry. You could over-worry. We don't do anything. That's unbiblical. But for some of us, for example, if we say, oh man, I have a hard time with work. I want a job. But if you sit there all day, dear God, give me a job. And you don't ever go to any job boards. Will you get a job? We would say, no, that guy has a un- that guy's a hyper-Calvinist. He doesn't believe in personal responsibility. But when it comes to self-defense, we often say, you know, trust in God, let's, let's not think about this or, or, or of all that, right? Or Jimmy's just being crazy, think about all that. But I also think biblical responsibility means, we, yes, we pray to God, we do what is right, we still do the main thing. The main enchilada is still, what? The Word of God being preached on Sunday morning, true or not. 16 ounces to the pound still. But still, we also realize there's a dimension of safety and security, right? Your family, for instance, we're your home. Should you still be a loving father? Yes, Right? You shouldn't be a loving father. To, you should not be protection about so crazy. You never talk to your kids. You're up all night. And that's all you do. That's a little bit local. Okay? But that all to say, hey, there's a place for the responsibility, trusting God, and also fulfilling other responsibility while being aware there's a responsibility of self-defense or safety. Notice also in Nehemiah, if you're still in Nehemiah, in verses 18, five verses down. They did not neglect their main goal. As it says, As for the builders, each wore his sword strapped to his waist as he built. Well, the trumpster stood near me. Okay? By the way, let's also turn real quick to the New Testament. This is not just Old Testament principle. I think this principle is cross-covenants. Okay? Um, whatever dispensation, whatever you see, oh, covenants, everything else, I think this, is a, um, this truth is a moral truth that is a uh, principle that 
span. It's not just only a certain time period. It's not just cultural to Israel, um, ancient Near East thing. Look at Luke 22, verse 36. You guys could turn with me. Luke 22, verse 36. So if you catch my breath, Josh, would you be able to read out loud Luke 22, verse 36? Again, Luke 22, verse 36. Notice here, Jesus, if in the context, when Jesus went with the apostles, the original 12 disciples, he told them not to bring a money belt, not to bring a sword, and not to bring a cloak. Because they're going to learn to trust in God. They're going to provide. By the way, does that mean for the rest of life, all believers never have extra clothes, never even have a wallet or purse or anything like that? No. Because this verse says the time and the season during those three years of ministry, when the apostles went to minister, relying on God and other people to provide for them, that stopped here. When Jesus was about to die, in the context, this is the night before Christ is going to die, and he says, you know what, from now on, you've trusted God already, from now on, this is, you could be normalized having a purse. Who here has a wallet? Raise your wallet. Okay, no, I'm not taking anything from you, right? Okay, who here has purses? Okay. None of us here would say it's wrong to have a belt or cloak. But sometimes people say, well, it's not good and it's wrong to have a weapon for self-defense. The same basis for us to read this, then I'll say, okay, if you use the hermeneutics to say, no, that is not allowed here with this, then you also use that same hermeneutics to go back and say here, hey, that means you should not have purse, money, wallet, or anything else, or even extra clothes, right? Because the same hermeneutics that allow permissible Christian liberty to have those things also allow Christian liberty to have what, as it says here, a sword, also as well. In fact, he even says, Jesus says, if you don't have a sword, go sell something so you would have it. Now, I know that the apostles later on says, hey, we have two. And then Jesus is like, hey, don't go overboard also as well, right? Hey, two is, is with that, okay? So I bring it up as to say there is a place for self-defense. Let me say this also real quick. When I say this, I say there's a Christian liberty. I'm not saying every one of us here must go get, must be a rifleman, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if your capacity of who you are, knowing your disposition and everything else, um, there is Christian liberty, and if there is wisdom with that, there is a Christian liberty, and the wisdom permit that, I think there's a place for that. Does that make sense? Okay? There's a place for self-defense from the passage we see, both Old and New Testament. By the way, our first two points, we've already seen that the principle I'm teaching is not only Old Testament, but it's also Old and New Testament. We've established thus far from this message so far, our two points, the Bible talks about the importance of vigilance, that's point one. Point number two, the Bible condones self-defense. Okay? Now I want to go over the part also as well of what? Practical pointers. Okay? Practical pointers. I do want to say with things, with weapons, whatever, you, it's not enough just if you get a weapon, just have it. You, I do think you should pursue training to actually know what it is. And this is not what we're talking about for the rest of our time. For the rest of our time, for point number three, practical pointers, I'm assuming you're at a location where you have no tools of violence. Okay, what do we do? These are the practical points. By the way, this is practical. This is not just only with church. In a day and age where people are getting laid off all the time, could people snap at work? Coworkers, yes. Former coworker, is it possible? By the way, is it possible even managers snap? I don't know about you. If you heard the news in December, some manager at Walmart snap and also shot people. Right? It's not just only oh, just the employee that's disgruntled. Even people that stress in every way. Right? 
Could people do that? And by the way, sometimes also those shooting, most homicide often happens where people know each other and they're upset. And then someone says, no, you're not going to pull a gun. I mean, this is out there. And then before you know it happened. Could it happen with family? All these incidents, yes. So how do we live, mitigate these threats as believers in this time? I think, number one, when there's practical pointers, these are practical pointers. There's no verses, but I think these are wisdom of how do we use. The first thing is try to de-escalate as much as possible. When there's a conflict, right, try to de-escalate. Try to calm everyone down as much as possible, okay? Use verbal judo, so to speak, okay, with that, to try to calm people down, okay? Um, and by the way, even when you're calming someone down, let's just say they're a danger, Let's just say they come over with a weapon and they're dangerous. You talk to them and the person says, Oh, okay, yeah, I feel bad. I don't want to do it. The danger never ceases until that person is detained. Let me say this real quick. You guys ever heard of the shooting? Uh, I think in South Carolina, there was a guy named Dylan Roof that shot up. Uh, he's, a, he's a racist guy. Went over to an African-American church. They were praying. They were praying for him, showing, shouting so much love. And afterward, when the police arrested him, he said, You know, they love me so much, I almost thought about not shooting. And then the people were calmed down. They're, Okay, he's calm now. But then they still remain. And that's when he then had the energy again, shot them all up. I'm bringing this up. When you de-escalate, never think the danger is over until he is detained. Okay? When he is under cuffs with the police, with authority. Okay? So you always want to de-escalate. I know in public schools, some of you guys work in public schools, the often idea is shelter in place with your kids. And this is also important for parents also to teach. Okay? What I'm going to say goes against some of the things that you often hear. Uh, and I also understand that also LAUSD and other schools also change the policy because they often say sheltering in place. I actually think the next best strategy is actually to run. Okay, say this after me: R, U, N, run. Okay, the best thing is to get away as far as possible from any threat. Okay, you don't say, okay, I'm armed, I'm strong, I'm physical. Hey, guess what? No bullets will stop anyone. Okay, by the way, you can be the most trained guy, and trained guys will always be killed by even guys that are far less trained. The reality is just things are crazy, okay? So you want to go as far away as possible, okay? You want to always go as far away as possible. That's the best right. Get away from the threat, okay? And by the way, have a goal of where you're running to, okay? Have a goal when you're running to, okay? I also think even, you, this is probably way beyond the time I could be here with church. Um, I think with a goal is also think about somewhere outside of our church also as well. I kind of think in the military, we have a place where if people get lost, guys get stranded, there's always something called objective rally point. The place to me, and maybe think of an example. When you guys were in school, remember, there's always a place. If there's an earthquake emergency, there's somewhere you meet. Remember, open space and everything else to say. I actually think the best rally point, my opinion, you guys could talk about later. This is way beyond my time now. Is actually 7-Eleven, because they kind of um, make a flanking movement adjacent where there you do. You can't a shooter can't stand out and look over there. If you're at the taco place, he'll see right. But adjacent, but there's also enough people uh, there also as well, right? And sometimes statistically around this neighborhood. The likelihood, I know this sounds so mean, the likelihood that you have a police officer around this area is going to be a place right there, okay? And we're not making fun of them with donuts. But you guys get the feeling what I'm saying? They're going to be over there, 7-Eleven sometimes give free things for cops because they like them coming over just loitering around the area for safety, right? And there's also a lot of other people there that for help and everything else. But also realize that does not mean it's safe because it's still open, right? So having some kind of objective rally point, right? And by the way, what I say might not be the wisest, but at least we'll... Uh, at least um, prime the conversation with that, okay? Like I said, run, okay? And by the way, if you're running under threat, run away that's not easy for people to shoot you, right? Don't, in other words, don't run a straight line, right? If the person is shooting you and you're running a straight line, it's going to be what? Easy. So you want to zigzag, 
Okay? You want to be, you want to bring so much Z's, that guy's going to fall asleep from just the tiredness of all that, so to speak, okay? So you also want to be able to be careful with that, okay? By the way, also as well, if you run away, be careful of turning corners when you don't know, okay? I, I think, uh, you know, when I used to work security, I remember there was one time we chased somebody because this person touched a little kid, and we're not going to let this guy go, right? When I used to work security, I remember we chased this guy down three blocks away from our place because if you touch kids, that's a bad dude. And I remember when I turned the corner, and I was, uh, I was younger then, I was smaller, I could run back then. Uh, my boss and everyone else was behind, uh, and I turned the corner, and the guy just tried to kick me. I was like, whoa, oh, almost kicked me, and then my boss was like, whoa, okay, we got to slice the corner. I know we got to get this dude. But then later I remember the, the other guards, I was too far away, and the other guards called, you know, you know, play phone tag, radio call, radio call. By the time the guy that's on the phone, the security on the booth, he called the police and said an officer got kicked. And that was the first time I ever worked in Hollywood where, man, dirty police officer came. Because they thought, they heard, not security officer, they just heard a police officer got kicked, right? And then when I never saw where I tackled a guy, and the next thing I know, the police came over and just tackled me too. It's like, everything's, oh, like, you know, all those guys, they're heavyweight. And then they're like, okay, you're the guard, just get out of here. And they're like, why did you kick a police? And I was like, no, he didn't kick the police, he kicked me. And they're all, oh, okay. And then, oh, like 30 police officers. We never, we always called police, it was always two hours for them to get there whenever we catch a suspect, right? Um, but it does the first time ever, and now my boss was like, oh man, okay, well, at least we told them, maybe if it's not the truth, at least they came quick, because we don't like to hold a belligerent, and by the way, that guy needs to be locked up. You touch a kid, you're a bad dude. You should go away a long time, okay? So with that, what I'm trying to say is when you're running, make sure you look at the corners, right? The other thing is hide. But there's a big difference between concealment and cover. What do I mean by that? When you hide, does that mean you can stop rounds? True or not? You got to remember that, right? That's fundamental 101, right? Anthony with the Marines, is they always teach concealment is not the same thing as cover, right? Um, it does not mean it's safe. You might, they might not be visible, okay? So when you hide, also think about the hard corner of a building. That is a corner where they, you're not able to have people see, like outside, looking in. So where's a hard corner here at our church? I think it's that corner where Eric is at, right? That's a corner where the doors, they see me first, they see me first, ba-ba, right? But that's a hard corner when you need to hide. Does that make sense? That's the safest corner with that. So think about hard co- uh, co- uh, corner. Okay? By the way, when you hide, and this is true for teachers, Sunday school teachers, and everything else at church, don't just wait there, okay? One of the unfortunate things is today we see so many videos of all these things. One of the saddest videos, I could not watch it, was the shooting at the mosque in New Zealand, where everyone just waited, and everyone froze mentally, and the gunman just went to each one, just blast their head, Right? Just simply at that. When you're waiting, you got to be vigilant. If you have kids, you tell the kids, you know what? We're building a barricade. You mean barricade? Is you're blocking that door. But you're not just saying, okay, it's locked. Okay, right? Let's have coffee. No, you will be locking and you put everything. You start putting chairs, stacking tables, everything else. Build a stack. So you're going to build a great wall of China from there to over there where they cannot open at all. Does that make sense? There's so much things stuck there. And then the kids are crying. You tell them, you know what, little kid? You're going to grab this mic. When they come in, you're going to stab the guy in the eye. You're going to tell everyone to be active. You want them to be so active that they're thinking about vigilance of survival. Because when you don't have the mentality, and by the way, the number one weapon is your mind, right? If you're, if you're telling the kids and they're crying, you tell them do anything. You, if, if you have little, I don't know, caustic, tell them that, right? Everything is a weapon if you have the mind with that, right? Even if you say it's that little thing and say, hey, at least you could throw it in their eyes, right? You tell the kids to be that way. And, and by the way, you're not waiting for someone to be a leader because people always freeze up. Even the military. Guys freeze up and they get fired. Oh, the quickest fire I'd ever seen in the Marine Corps when we were in Iraq. 
Lieutenants get fired. Their officers, so what? They get a brand new buck sergeant now in charge of that. And that happens. By the way, when Jin was in Iraq, his unit fired even more people than our unit did, okay? I'm bringing that up as to say we need to take charge with everyone here to be vigilant. When you're hiding, again, be very active, right? Using all kinds of things. Fire extinguishers are great tools, right? In two ways. We're blowing on them and to whack them, okay? You want to be able to think about all these things with that. Last is fight, not recommended. But there's times you might be cornered, okay? And it's not being about tough. I'm a small dude. I've never been in a fight that I ever thought I would win. Actually, most fights, I think, oh man, I'm just going to be beat down in my life. But I think it's the right thing to do, okay? Again, every weapon of opportunity. Fire extinguisher, chairs, keys, right? Attack them where they're most vulnerable, also as well, right? Head, private area, right? Um, and also attack when they're most vulnerable. The gunman's most vulnerable when they're reloading, right? That's the best time to attack. How do you attack? Um, if you're attacking, I think it's good to constantly have other people throw things at them while you're approaching, right? That's going to be your, art- your artillery guys throwing all these things. So your plan of attack, you're already, what? He's already distracted everything else, right? So you better be screaming, yelling at other people to do that, okay? Um, and by the way, there's not time to be quiet, right? That's a time to be really be loud and clear with everyone when you speak, okay? Um, I think the most best place to attack is ours from the back, the second best is probably the side. The worst is probably the front. But to attack from the front is better than doing nothing. Right? This is one of those things. Where if you don't think, the, last, the worst thing you could ever do is do nothing. The worst thing you ever do is do nothing. That's why in the military, when guys attack, and sometimes a lot of guys die, the pun- officers don't get punished. Because their idea is, it's better to do something than to do nothing. Right? It's better to do something than to do nothing. So think about with all that, right? And even afterward, if let's just say you do, do deal with a threat, also realize right afterward, the police are coming. It's not the time to play hero, okay? If let's just say you use a scissor, a chopstick, whatever, it's not the time to say, hey guys, look. No, you want to drop everything. So when the police comes, they're going to be rough on you and everything else. The goal is not to try to be a hero at that moment where they can't tell between you being an aggressive hero or the bad guy, right? That's just where you surrender. By the way, the Navy SEALs, as great as they are, Way back in the day when they first began, when they first were practicing to take terrorist plane down, do you guys know that after they take down of the thing, their goal is right away to put all the guns down and come out and just also have the regular other forces capture, you know, go in? Because that's not a time to say, hey, pride, oh, I'm so cool. That's just to make sure that the threat is always there, right? There's no room for pride or phony ego with that. So all that is also, you know, keep in mind, too, sometimes we might not see the debt threat. We might not be there. We were able to escape. Um... And something to think about is also what you know. And when you're stressful, and this might be a good thing to write down in a card and have in your wallet, is write the word salute. Because when you call the police, the police are going to ask for suspect, all these things. But sometimes what's helpful to organize is in the military, we have something called salute. Okay, I'm going to modify this a little bit so it's not actually... Marine radio operator, we force us to memorize this. You just think about when you call the police, these are the things you want to tell. Five things cause salute. What are they? Suspect. Right? Suspect. Okay? Activity. What is it they're actually doing? The more specific. Location. Where is it at? Okay. Okay, let me repeat it again. A suspect. Um, activity. Location. Uh, unit. Unit basically, you can say, what are they? Like, does it look like it's gang members? Does it look like it's just, I don't know, um, Islamic terrorists or, or something with that, okay? And then time. Okay, paying attention to time. And equipment. What it is that they're, what it is that they have as a tool. 
Okay? Size. Oh, actually, uh, I modified this. The military causes size. Oh, suspect, activity, location, unit, time, and equipment. Okay? So, uh, or, or uniform, or, you know, uh, with that. So those are those things. If that's helpful, just having it down. Because likelihood is when people are stressed, you're not going to remember. That's why the military, it's forced memorization of all these things. Because when things go bad, all those smeak, all those things we had initial, is that when people are not thinking clearly, you go back to what it is you have on there to start speaking, okay? So the more clear, the better for them, okay, uh, with that. Again, in all these things, it's unavoidable. Even with all these things, people, you know all these things, people can still go down. And our most important thing is to realize, you know, yesterday when I was evangelizing, you know, like some people are rude. Some people feel like, oh, you know, I was doing the evangel cube, sharing the gospels, like, you're talking about death and hell and Chinese New Year, right? Then I started thinking about last night, the last part, you see some people dressed up, and I was just thinking, oh, I wonder if they're going to that ballroom dancing. Because they're older, 50s and 60s. And they just seem like they're just walking, looking at that. I was just thinking about those last hour or two evangelizing. If someone were to pass away, if someone heard what we share about the gospel, before they pass away, did we pass enough information to them so that when they are bleeding out, they could recall what you share about the gospel? And in that perspective, that made me think, man, I'm glad... Those times I did talk to people about hell and the picture of visualization and all of that. But also felt guilty, like, huh. Did I only give cards and talk about Chinese New Year to people? But then also God's sovereignty also comfort me. That we were meant to be there. There's only two churches, according to Hui, walking around. Only two churches there, right? And people come over to our table. People have all kinds of opinion. You know, someone came over and said, your church is so small. I used to go to church so big and I used to be the founder. I said, okay, that's great. But where are you? Where are you evangelizing? If you have more resources, get another table, right? That made me think, you know what? It's not about the numbers. It's not about all these things. The goal is to share the gospel. Because we are a lost and dying world. No one knows when people will be alive or the next day. And this message is not just about safety. Ultimately, there is no security. Everything I say, people are sinful. People are bad dudes. In light of all these things, the only thing you have assurance in this world is Christ. That He is your Lord and Savior. That He died for you. That He gave eternal security. That for the rest of your life, after you pass away, you could go to heaven. How? By trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Trusting that Christ died for your sins on the cross. For every guilt and every bad things you've ever done. Every offense towards God. This is the greatest message of all. And we are nothing more than another dying sinner to another dying sinner. Preaching the Word of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you just make us love you more. Pray, Lord, that because we love you, we love others, family, church, co-workers, friends, frenemies, and even enemies. And therefore, Lord God, allow us to think biblically about these things, to love and to protect others. In Jesus' name we pray. Make sure you guys greet one another. There'll be lunch, and then we'll also have prayer meeting upstairs. Okay.